0: you'll be energised by lots of practical tips, inspiring you to live a truly satisfying and meaningful life. Hello, everybody. This is Robin Stratton-Burkessle, and welcome to Positivity Strategist. And today I'm very excited to be connecting again with a very, very special colleague whose name is Kristen Bodeford. And Kristen and I go back some time and we'll perhaps explore a little bit about that story. But right now, um, I'm talking to Kristen, who is in Chicago. Hello, Kristen. Welcome.
1: Hi, Robin. It is, I am just having so much fun connecting with you and talking with you. It's been so long and I just am, it's a delight to be in conversation.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Let's just kind of remember, I, it was tw- 2008 that we first met online, right, and yes. we were doing an appreciative inquiry um, project together, a strength-based project mm-hmm. for, this is my recollection, for the ASAE Global Sustainability Conference, the Centre for Association Leadership. Yeah. And um, so we were co-facilitating there for um, a, a very cool project on, you know, globally for this Topic of global sustainability, yeah. and um, and since then our paths have kind of been crisscrossing back and forth. And as you mentioned just before we went on air, in all this time we've never met, but we have a very. I feel we have a very strong relationship. Yes,
1: I agree. I agree, and we and we were just mentioning too that it's it's so uh, fun. I just feel like we have worked together in person over these years, and I cannot believe that we've never met in person. (laughs) I'm just incredibly grateful for um, the opportunity that we had to connect through the work with Icohere and ASAE and to be experimenting and exploring and playing with ideas of appreciative inquiry and also um, the passion that we share with with using technology as well. Mm -hmm. That's just been very fun.
0: Yeah. And then uh, it turns out that we're both associates of the Taos Institute. (laughs) So that happened on the way too. And that to me was a great honor to kind of ask, be invited by Ken Gergen to join. And I know that you're on the faculty there as well. Right. In the
1: a- new master's or relational leading program.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Actually, I'd love yeah. to hear more about that. Yeah. So now in these, what is it? Um, eight, oh, how many years is that? Five, eight years? Seven years. years, yeah. Seven
1: years? years. You,
0: you went off and did your PhD. So Tell me a little bit about... I'd love to hear about that process and what you did. And I've been reading your dissertation, which is thrilling. So can you just kind of tell me some high points of that experience?
1: Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, I I mean, I don't know if there were any points except for high points. (laughs) I'll I'll share with you. But as you you know, I've been working for about 10 years in uh, very strengths-based approaches, working in communities, Uh, where people are interested in coming together around issues and and bringing their strengths together to create uh, new opportunities, new possibilities, new solutions. But I was very new to the world of appreciative inquiry. And in fact, our our friend... um, Pascal Pascal Kaplan introduced me to Appreciative Inquiry. I had no idea what it was. So when we first started working together, you and I, I was pretty new to the field of Appreciative Inquiry and was diving very deeply into understanding the principles behind it and realizing... The congruence and just the connection with how I, the things that I valued in my work and in my life. And so as I was pursuing, looking at doctoral programs, Taos was very high on the list. And after a conversation with Sheila McNamee, which I think she is, um, she's sort of magical, uh, I decided to get my um, doctorate from the Taos PhD program with uh, Tilburg University and everything about it was a highlight experience. I, I remember towards the end when Sheila kept saying, you're, you're ready, you're done. <laughs> and I would say, no, I'm not ready. She said, no, you're ready. You're ready to, to finish this. Um, that I didn't want to stop just because it was such an immersion into learning. But what I loved about it most was the ability to uh, directly connect my learning into the work that I was doing and to be supported by this incredible community of... Of people learning about and exploring the ideas of uh, around social constructionist theory and practice, mm. so it was a wonderful experience, and I would do it again right now. In fact, I would I would start it over again. <laughs> so
0: yeah, I'm so tempted. The whole relational <laughs> leading yes. um, idea uh, and practice is so yeah. appealing to me. So I'm, I am I, I keep coming back to the Taos Institute website and looking. <laughs> oh, oh, you should
1: do it, my friend. Do it for sure. Oh. And I think it's probably that, that um, aspect of the orientation, that relational orientation that we may have really connected strongly with when we first started because I, I see in you this relational responsiveness of how you work and um, not only your ability to – um, I don't want to say ability, but just your embracing of an appreciative orientation. But I also see a very strong relational orientation in your work. And so I think that's probably why we so strongly connected in the beginning was that shared value.
0: Mm, yeah. And you know, um, Kristen, in a number of the many, most of the people that I speak to who are in this f- similar field to arson, and, um, you know, they're familiar and use the appreciative inquiry lens through their work uh, they when they come across it it's almost like i feel it's w- where i am or who i am is being mm-hmm. legitimized mm-hmm. It, i feel so affirmed like yes. you know this is in, this is intuitively who i am and you mentioned the word congruent before i feel mm-hmm. y- you know you you feel like you come home and you have a community mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you find the relationships and you are using it in your work you do it, you know, you were doing it anyway like you you have mm-hmm. this company called, or this organization called Community Strengths, now that was there before you knew about Appreciative Inquiry, right? Right, right <laughs> Yeah, but it's, but you're right it, it gives you like a, a shared
1: language and a shared way of recognizing um, how you're approaching the work and, and I think it also gives us some theoretical base to work with as well, mm-hmm. um, so that it's not um, so abstract. It it gives us some ways and some practices of working together with people that um, that that you know we can keep learning, we can keep exploring it, and we can keep developing it. But it gives us a base. It gives mm-hmm. us a foundation.
0: Yeah, yeah, most definitely. So, um, I mean, I look at your website, community strengths, and you've worked with some. V- amazing populations, you know, it's a crisscross of age groups, what else, um, nations, so mm-hmm. I'd love to, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the work that you do with Community Strengths. Sure. Yeah. Um,
1: um, what's been really wonderful about the work with Community Strengths is that we've been invited into so many different areas of work and it's exciting because we get to learn new around new issue areas work with new communities but uh, we I first started the work working around parole reentry collaboratives and learning a lot about different dialogical models dialogic and collaborative models of bringing people together around the social issue of of uh, re-entry following incarceration um and then I uh was invited to do some work around aging and I had never done any work in aging and I had the wonderful opportunity of working with um with Civic Ventures and Judy Goggin and looking at the strengths of boomers and um, the capacity of boomers to make a contribution to communities and, and and when I say boomers I think we all understand this terminology very well in the US of this cohort of people that um What's the age
0: group now (laughs) with boomers? Um, Born 45, around 1945, is that right? Just after the war? Okay. So like entering
1: middle 50s now anyway. We can cut that out. But um, sorry, I'm like editing as we're talking. Sorry about
0: that. Thanks. It gives me pointers on the way. I'll
1: just go like stop, start.
0: (laughs) So people who are kind of um, mid-50s up. Is that right? Yeah, so mm-hmm.
1: so we had this wonderful opportunity to work with the community in Oregon around looking at the needs of uh, adults over the age of 50 in their community and engaged um, a group of residents in leading dialogues across the city. And at this time, I still hadn't been a, introduced to appreciative inquiry or even social construction, but was more grounded in the, the dialogic and collaborative methodologies and, and approaches to community development. Um, and when I was introduced to uh, the work that we began doing together, um, I brought that into work around uh, with an initiative focusing on childhood exposure to domestic violence, and we had a federal demonstration grant to see how we might bring together different organizations, agencies, uh, parts of the community to address the issue of uh, supporting children and families who had or, or were experiencing domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And we convened a system and around uh, an appreciative inquiry process and uh, are continuing to do that work today Uh, that's expanded to looking at more trauma-informed systems, but doing that from a strengths-based, appreciative, and relational uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, it seemed that my work was uh, working in aging, working around children and families, and then my doctoral dissertation was working with young people who are often labeled as deviant, dangerous, delinquent, and so my work was really lifespan and uh, community based, and I was introduced to the work of of intergenerational community building with um I say I often say I have two people on my shoulders. I have Nancy Hankin uh, who was with the Temple University Center for intergenerational learning and a, and a, and I'm a basically the one of I would say. <laughs> The person, but uh, there have been many, but she is one of the m- most important people in intergenerational work um, in the United States. And Donna Butts, who is the Executive Director of Generations United. I always say I have Nancy and Donna on both of my shoulders mm. reminding me of the importance of looking at – all of the issues across the lifespan and ways that we can bring generations and different ages together as sources of creativity um, to uh, address issues in our communities. Um,
0: So when you say um, across the lifespan, say more about that. Is that like from, is that the intergenerational thing or is that, you know, I'm not quite sure what you mean.
1: It's, it's interesting because I think that there's different ways of looking at that that terminology mm-hmm. across the lifespan. Mm-hmm. So one way we could look at that is we could look at say for example the issue of community violence or family violence. We could look at that across the lifespan and how violence in communities uh, impacts people mm-hmm. at different ages. Mm-hmm. When we move to an intergenerational perspective, we're looking at the relationship between generations. Uh, for example, an intergenerational perspective on community violence might bring multiple generations together to discuss how the um, violence in communities impact, their communities impacts them and to co-create solutions bringing their strengths together to address the issue. Um, so it moves... It, it, while they're while they're connected, they're also very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, an intergenerational approach is a very strategic and mindful decision about rec- bringing uh, connecting and bringing the strengths of different generations together. And often, people think that means you know uh, uh, people in an older generation with youth, but it can mean really any generations coming together, um, and. It, as you were participating in the conversation that Peter Whitehouse and I were just hosting on intergenerativity, he talks about that being a fusion of conversations among uh, sources of human creativity that might otherwise not be connected. And generations are often and increasingly not as connected as they have been in the past. So it's an intentional decision about bringing those generations together.
0: Yeah. And what what are some of the positive outcomes that you've seen from bringing these generations together?
1: Oh, goodness. It's, it's, it's literally like magic. It's, it's such it, – um, it's what keeps me going in the intergenerational work is, is uh, actually when I've been able to experience bringing multiple generations together to work effectively around a community issue. It really is like magic. Um, not only is there increased capacity in a community to deal with issues and engaging strengths that are often not um, engaged and overlooked, Mm -hmm. in between the generations there's an increase in mutual understanding. Often these generations are not engaging in conversations and so there's a growing misunderstanding between generations and sometimes... um, uh, even, you know, a fear or a distrust. right? And so, oh, go ahead.
0: Yeah. So, um, yes, you heard my breath. Um, you're, yes, yeah. <laughs> you have very good relational perceptions. <laughs> so I was curious about, you talked about issue. So has there been always an issue that you bring these groups together around a specific issue? Cause I'm, I have a, So I'll let you respond to that because then I have a particular question I'm curious about too.
1: Yeah. You know, I find that it's helpful that we have some purpose of being together because it gives us an opportunity to do work together and through the work we develop relationships But then again, we've also, um, for example, uh, we were doing intergenerational peace circles in the Austin neighborhood. It's Mm. a a west side Chicago uh, neighborhood. And we were just bringing people together to be in conversation with each other. But generally, what comes out of that is people are talking about the issues that matter to them. And they figure out that they want to work together and support each other. So things naturally evolve out of those conversations. But I think just being in relationship, too, just coming together, uh, the young people often will say, Hey, we just want to, you know, offer something at the community center where we can get together and play games or people will have dances together just so that, um, just so that people have an opportunity to be in relationship, I think. Mm. But but my, I find um, working together is also a wonderful way to, um, build that relationship and the conversations that happen. And then we have, uh, intergenerational teams that do gardening and the type of mentoring and support that happens just very informally as people are working together. Um, I love that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's great. So the peace circles, yes. was that to do with the work that you would, are you, you know, you're teaching with Dominican university? Yes. Uh huh. Yes. So, would you mind elaborating on that for me? Sure. <laughs> I'd like to hear about that. <laughs> okay. So,
1: Nancy, who's on my right shoulder, uh, Hankin, um, offered to bring a program that they were working on. Mm -hmm. with uh, Temple University, Center for Intergenerational Learning, had a program where she was able to work around the issues of health in a community and doing intergenerational community building and offered to bring it to Chicago. So we started working with a partner, the Austin Coalition for Youth Justice in um, the Austin neighborhood in Chicago, addressing issues of community health from an intergenerational lens the first thing that we did is we also incorporated uh, master students. So uh, we, in the graduate school of social work, we had master students in social work with students from the local high schools, for, with uh, elders in the community, and um, community-based organizations come together to to address our ability to work together across generations through a specific approach that Temple and Nancy Hankin have developed over the years. So we realized that it's, it's important to bring different ages together, but it's also important for us to develop our capacity to support that work and to be able to um, do it in a very meaningful way.
0: Yeah.
1: So we had this uh, training be- with community and our students and then, put it into practice through uh, intergenerational peace circles, uh, working on specific projects such as um, intergenerational gardening. We worked um, uh, with young people working with Salvation Army to do house visits of more isolated uh, older adults in the community. And many other projects just kind of sprung from people coming together and being able to apply this intergenerational lens to their work.
0: So how did you get the how did you get the groups together? Mm-hmm. You know who 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 came along to be part of the gardening team or you know so you had the students doing this work but how did you bring in the the older generations? Or well, did you go into their communities?
1: It was really a fabulous story, actually, because that that particular project came from an intergenerational peace circle. And I'd love to tell this story because um, Miss Mary Peary is very, very close to my heart. Miss Mary Peary started community gardens in the Austin community over 30 years ago. And she had um, a house next to her house that was... Uh, abandoned, and she was always worried about the children. And one day, uh, a young girl was raped, and she said, "That's it." And she went to uh, the city of Chicago and lobbied to have the the building torn down. And she also advocated turning it into a community garden, mm. which uh, she got approval for, for. And she started the Austin Green Team, and they have had. Six or seven community gardens in the Austin community uh, for the last 30 years. And Miss Mary Perry is turning 90 this year. I actually just talked with her today. She was asking me if I put my garden to bed yet, and I said, I have no idea how to do that. You need to come help me. (laughs) Um, So she came to a – I had met her at a a community meeting of the Austin Coalition – or I'm sorry, uh, Austin Coming Together, which is an organization that – uh, provide support for the Austin community and initiatives and organizing and she had been talking about her gardens and how they needed support and her dream was to have young people in the community mm. join them in the community gardens it's her vision to have young people more involved
0: oh that's beautiful
1: so I invited her to one of our intergenerational peace circles that young people were at and had been trained in circle practice and She shared her story and there was a group of young men that said, we are inspired by your story and we want to help. And they applied for a grant that AARP Foundation um, had a a small grant process through their program called Mentor Up, which is about young people Mm -hmm. mentoring and providing um, their expertise to uh, an older generation and they received a grant and were able to build a, pro- a project of them working together in the community with these gardens.
0: Oh, that is the most beautiful story. What you can do when, when you care about something very much yeah, and you have got the courage to go out there and do something and you're bringing these, you know, these, and here it's a, an intergenerational story as well. Yeah. So yeah. I just love that. I mentioned, you know, coming together around a purpose mm-hmm. um and or doing something together. So there's an issue that, you know, people feel very passionate about or they care about and they want to contribute to and, and perhaps find solutions to. So what do you think of the idea of generations wiser together? You know, mm-hmm. what 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 response does that bring up in you if i say that generations wiser mm. together and is that mm. is that kind of like an issue that that would invite people to come along and share stories i'm just curious yeah you know
1: i well i was just like trying to listen to what was coming up for me when i think of the terminology wiser together but i think cuz i think there's always connotations of wisdom coming with older age and, yeah. and often, you know, um, people will think of, of elders as, as being the wise ones. And when I, uh, talk with, uh, older adults and elders in our community, they often say how much they learn from the younger generations as well. Mm-hmm. And then the particular wisdom that they see that young people have, and even very young young children. So I think it's, for me, the things that came up when you were saying wiser together. It's kind of tapping into those sources of creativity that we all have, um, and and through being together, being able to spark our imagination, and so those are kind of the the, the two senses that I was. Uh, Feeling when you said wiser together, um, tapping into sources of creativity and sparking imagination. And that happens in conversation and relationship together. That's not something that we just – own or exist or exists within us. I think often we think of wisdom as existing within us. And I think the wiser together brings it into that relational field of something mm-hmm. that we're creating together through our relating, through our sharing of stories, through our, ex- our experiences together.
0: Mm.
1: So it brings it into that, that in-between space for me.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's also about what could, it's the sparking, the imagination, the creativity. So what could come out of that? Mm So um, I love the notion of, you know, sharing stories, respectfully listening to what Mm -hmm. insights, what might come out, and then what else, you know, Mm -hmm. what is it what else is possible? And so your story about the gardens was one that Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, my God, that is, uh, you know, if you were, you know, in a gathering of, um, a mixed group of generations and one of the issues came out, you know, I need some help with my garden or, you know, wouldn't it be great mm-hmm. to have a community garden or to do something? I don't know. You just don't know what what might come out of these kinds of conversations when people are truly listening to each other and thinking about yeah. how can we create a wiser world even? Mm-hmm. I mean, what might that look like? Do you know, Robin, do you remember when we did the workshop on
1: flourishing destinies? Yes. The word flourishing just came to me. Wow. There's something of like a wellspring, something that comes that we can't plan for. It's not this the kind of strategic planning that says we need community gardens to bring people together and discuss this. It's that magic that happens in the conversation and so, it's how do we support the kind of conversations where people can find those connections of things that they care about, and then support that, support mm. um, that kind of 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 what of what comes out of what generates fr- from those conversations with each other, mm. um, and that that gets harder because. You know, we 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 seem to think that we need to have a plan all figured out of what we need to do in communities when really the resources for that kind of creativity and generativity is actually in the conversations with each other and it coming out of that.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you're saying that. And, I, you know, I'm just thinking of something that I read on your website where you said that Magic can happen when people come together around issues they care deeply about. Mm. Yes. And it's through the language and the stories that enable that to come to the surface. Yes.
1: Mm. And when you say
0: deeply and you
1: said listening earlier, I wrote down in my notes, listening deeply.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think we need to learn how to do that sometimes. And I see that happening. Well, you know, I think it's a challenge. I think it's a challenge sometimes. I I was going to say, I see that happening when you bring different generations together, but I think it happens over time. I think it happens as we learn how to be in relationship again together as well. Um, because I think it, it, I think it takes practice. I think it takes us learning how to slow down, how to be in relationship. I love, um, I think I may have shared with you the video from the training, from the Dominican University training. Yes, I love Desha- that. Oh. At the mm, very, very I, end, mm. Deshaun says that, you know, I think he's saying something like, you know, it's important to stop, to slow down, and to listen. Because when you do that, what does he say? He says, you know, that basically older people that he's in relationship with he has really valued what they've had to say Mm. but he needed to learn how to slow down Mm. and to really listen Mm. and I think it's something we need to practice more
0: yeah that's a great practice in fact um, I will put a link to that video on the show notes page for this. By the way, this episode is number 47. So anyone who is listening in and wants to get some of these links, so links to your website, links to this video and links to other names that you're mentioning here, um, we'll have them there so people can actually find out more about what you're talking about. So so that's positivitystrategist.com slash PS47 and you'll be able to see some of these great um, resources that Kristen is talking about. So um, this is really fantastic because I am working with a group who um, who is very keen on creating spaces and wisdom exchanges where generations will come together to explore what what might it be and what might it look like where we do have generations kind of determining what, being wise together could be, mm-hmm. and what might come out of that, so what kind of initiatives or projects what might the where might the conversation go, where might the relationships um you know take the people there and and how can they do more of that yeah, so I'm just looking I'm excited about the idea of what's possible, yeah, and I wanted to check with you too about um I know you've been f- working on positive aging, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So well yeah <laughs> yeah, go on.
1: It's so funny because I kind of have a <laughs> I have a hard time with the the whole notion of positive aging in a way. Um, so I'll explain that a little bit more, so I'm not quite sure what I would actually call it because um, I haven't come up with a term yet that feels really right for what it is, but um. Maybe we'll go back to our word flourishing again. Mm.
0: Thank you because- for bringing that up. <laughs> by the way, I'm so glad you did bring that up.
1: Yeah, I, I yeah, we need to revisit that because mm. for some reason I'm inspired by that mm. in our conversation again. But um, I will talk about sometimes thinking about a positive aging, and there's been such a movement in our country around what we call positive aging. And so I did a, a talk on this at a the positive aging conference. About kind of the risks of the narrative and the stories that we're telling around positive aging if if you do a Google search on positive aging, what I found was uh, mostly people with uh, uh, that were white, um, mm-hmm. middle or upper class mm-hmm. uh, in relation like couples uh, that were very active, uh, no one in a wheelchair or with a walker or uh, of a different ethnic background, or by themselves, or in a same-sex relationship, and many people around water. So surfing, or mm-hmm. at the beach, or... <laughs> I get the I thought, picture. I get yes, it. Yes, <laughs> you, you know the picture, right? So I thought, what is this narrative that we're building around positive aging, wow. and what's the implication of who's not included in that narrative that we're creating around it? Mm. So I'm not quite sure... Uh, I'm not quite sure what I would call it right now, but I'm definitely uh, looking, I'm definitely working in the, the realm of, of aging right now, a particular healthy aging. Mm-hmm. So looking at, uh, in particular in sub-Saharan Africa and looking at the issues that, the issues and also the strengths of older persons in sub-Saharan Africa and so we're we're calling that healthy aging, and mm-hmm. um, because in particular we're looking at the health issues that um, and, and engaging older persons in their communities and and um, intergenerational efforts to respond to the issues in a strengths based way using uh, the community life competence process. Mm. I think you're familiar with
0: with that. I am absolutely. Um, yeah. Yes, in fact. Um- Jean-Louis Lombre was a guest ah. of mine early on. He's oh, a lovely, wonderful. lovely man. Yeah. yeah he's lovely. Um, yeah, I think that's very interesting that you bring up this the posit the, the term positive has kind of got hijacked a little bit. Yeah. And um, you know, I'm when I called my business or call this podcast and branded myself Positivity Strategist, what for me that was, was the whole ecosystem around, you know, probably flourishing and meaning and, and, you know, positivity from the point of view of positive psychology and how that impacts us emotionally and psychologically and physically and spiritually. So, you know, it has this very big, big, it's a big word. And yeah. it's not just about you know being happy at all and having yeah. fun. I mean, you know, it's really really about the quality of life mm. um, that that I'm thinking about. And so when you think about positive aging, I'm thinking about you know the quality of your life. You know, and sure. maybe that's across the whole lifespan again that we referenced earlier.
1: Yeah, you know what? That just I love that you that you are talking about the quality of life because. It's not. It's not um, creating this uh, like dichotomy of positive versus negative. It, it's it's mm-hmm. all of it. It's it's all of it as a resource for our well being. And I I teach a class on trauma and healing, and part of it is recognizing that all of it is part of our life, and all of our experiences contribute to who we are. Um, how we create, how we how we live in our life, the meaning that we make of our life, and and it also reminded me actually. So this this healthy aging research project that we're doing, I love this terminology that someone gave to it. It's supporting the beings and doings that are meaningful mm. to older persons, and so it's not attributing uh, any quality of that. It's it's uh, the beings and doings that are meaningful in our life.
0: Mm. The beings and the doings. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, they give meaning to us Mm. that we value. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And, yeah.
0: Yeah. So that brings something else up for me that I was reading in your dissertation and, you know, it's kind of like a notion within social construction. So when you were talking about, you know, there's the positive and the negative, so there's this kind of there's the absence of, you know, there is and then there's the absence of it. So, when you're talking about privileging certain voices, mm-hmm. um, I'd love for you to say a little bit more about that. Privileging
1: certain voices in terms of, um,
0: you know, when people tell a story, or you know, there's this kind mm-hmm. of like by virtue, like the exclusion. When you were talking about positive aging, and you see, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the, the the very pretty images of, right. you know, affluent happy middle-aged couples kind of, you know, at a beach resort, yeah. you know. Right. Um, what, what
1: what narrative is being privileged yes, and that? What, yes.
0: what stories. And, yeah, um, boy. I, I think, guess I was just yeah. I'm wanting to, for me personally, understanding yeah. that more a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, I think –
1: you know it's this this uh, the reason why I'm kind of hesitating with this is that this has been an area that's been a struggle for me and my work in a way, and let me share why. I often go to the other direction, <laughs> so <laughs> if I feel that there are voices that are marginalized in society mm-hmm. or stories that are marginalized and not heard, I often privilege that story over other stories uh-huh. I, I have and I'm really working to figure out how to create spaces where all stories are mm-hmm. recognized all stories are valued um, but I think that there's also a recognition uh, and I and I address this all the time as as a person um, of privilege I I live a life Correct. of mm-hmm. great privilege um, and it's it's um And I'm used to my story and my voice being privileged. Mm. And so, how do I create space? Uh, How do we create spaces together for all voices to be privileged and valued and recognized? And, but at the same time, it doesn't mean I need to diminish. Mine. Yes, I hear. So I think it's a very difficult balance. That's and, so interesting. Yeah, and I often have diminished mine, or mm-hmm. <laughs> have worked to diminish those pr- stored narratives of privilege. So it's something I'm, I'm, I'm just kind mm-hmm. of struggling with and figuring out how to create those kinds of spaces where, where my my values are, where we're all valued. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
0: So yeah. is it crass for me to say that um, when you were talking about voices that are marginalised or mm-hmm. people who um, you know aren't as well represented, and this yeah. does sound as I'm thinking about it now, it does sound very trivial, but like it's because I identify strongly with what you're saying, and that you know I always take the underdog perspective, mm-hmm. and I know that sounds terrible, but it's you know my my compassion or my 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 inclination is to, to want to elevate that to the point where you are then diminishing or yeah. devaluing, as you say, the people who um, have privilege in in this world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, there's advantages to that because I think when you have privilege, you are in a position to be able to kind of be more inclusive. <laughs> yeah. Um so I understand the struggle. Yeah, and I think where am what I'm,
1: what might be underneath what I'm struggling with is that my, that my my value system, my belief is really around our interconnectedness, mm. and and you know the value of every human being and humanity. And so, if I was to practice that, what would that look like? Uh, what does that look like of really recognizing our, everyone's value, all of our value and the importance of us all, you know, the relational space in between all. And I remember I was actually, so I think, you know, that my social action training came from uh, Zen Peacemakers, so uh, tradition yeah. <laughs> and one of my teachers, yeah. um, we were talking, and and I was saying, oh, okay, so I think I think I could create a circle pr- process where, you know, those that are most marginalized and their voices aren't heard can be in the in the circle, and those that are privileged can be on the outside listening. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me very patiently, <laughs> as I often got I get, continue to get looks very patiently, like <laughs> one day you'll understand, but uh, very patiently saying, but why? Why can't we all be in the circle? Oh. And that so struck me. Mm. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't have any of this figured out. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm exploring it, and I'm, and I'm in conversation about it. Uh, and I'd love to just, I'd love to continue to be in conversation. Mm. Um, but that, that, that struck me when he said that. But why? Mm. We can all be in the circle together. But I think what gets hard is that then I'm also at the same time saying that's where we need practice in being in that circle Mm. together. Mm. Because we often resort back to the power dynamics and the privilege that we're used to that's embedded in our social norms and rules that, you know, the unwritten, I I was going to say unwritten, they're very written. We Mm -hmm. have rules that are very written in our society Mm -hmm. and we resort back to those. And so I think it's something that takes practice and intentionality. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you talk about these, these places and spaces of, of, Uh, the wiser together kind of bringing people together it's something that I think is so important that intentionality about increasing our capacity to be in those conversations Mm -hmm. together in new ways. Um,
0: I love this this image that you've created of why can't we all be in the circle together Mm -hmm. even though your best intention was to kind of equalize or shift Mm. shift the dynamic somehow right yeah but we yeah why do we have to do that when we can when we're all can be equally valued for whatever our contribution is um i think that's a a beautiful way for us to bring this conversation to a conclusion that we're this image of us all in the circle together
1: Yes, yeah, so it would be great if we could all be in a circle together. But the reality is, too, that that there, you know, in that preparation, there needs to be some in cohort work. So, um, meaning, like when you bring youth and 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 older generations together, sometimes we need to do some preparation work separately oh, yeah. as well. Okay. Or when you bring different racial or ethnic groups together, mm-hmm. sometimes or men and women often, mm-hmm. like if we're talking about trauma or mm-hmm. other things like that. Because those dynamics are so entrenched. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we have to do our own cohort work mm-hmm. and then coming together. So it's this fluidity. But I think that's part of the flourishing, right? Mm-hmm. Part of the flourishing is that mm-hmm. dance. Mm-hmm. It's um, And it's the relational. It's a relational yeah. responsibility to be responsive to that context mm-hmm. of what's in that um, dynamic and Anyway, something in there. We've got something Something, in there.
0: Something's in there, yeah. (laughs)
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much. This is just a delight. Can we continue?
0: (laughs) Yes, let's do that. I I would love that. So um, I'm going to say formally thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Also, you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember what you focus on grows, so grow towards your best.